0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Sharon Jackson Jr., John ja Morant, Joe Johnsons, jaw raps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how are you doing?
1: I think I found a new pet peeve of mine this season. Ah, uh, hit me. And it's only going to get worse. Tell me, there's, tell me. There's part of me. And last night was a, we're going to talk about this, but it was a great example of sometimes I just really dislike drawing conclusions when I feel like the bigger takeaway is that if a team was at full strength, the outcome would have been different. So therefore, I feel good about that team, even though they lost. But at the same time, there's the other rational part of me that is saying, you need to get over that and not even think about it because. This is a, just a world we're living in where everybody's going to be down players at points and it's going to happen potentially in the NCAA tournament. And so having those conversations might not even be worth it.
0: It's almost like the way you have to approach professional sports when it comes to the NBA and the NFL, right? Because 40 games from November 1st to April 1st, if you make it to the national championship game that's a lot of games but also in that stretch the nba is playing 82 mm-hmm. right and the nfl it's just depth is a actual part of your team not because it's a luxury but because guys are going to get hurt even in like non-pandemic years guys are going to get hurt it is right. going to happen in the nba guys are going to tweak ankles and be out for six games it is going to happen just because of the wear and tear um, and to your point, getting you know rational, rationalizing a loss because we didn't have this guy while might be true, is also just a characteristic of your team in the same way shooting a three point shooting three pointers well might be a characteristic of your team. And at the college game, like sure, it, it certainly happens, right? Whether it's Zion a few years ago or it's you know pick your pick your poison of guys who who might have gotten hurt but when you think about it like that like teams who make it to the final four were pretty much healthy all year and maybe that's not always the case with in the NBA or in in the NFL that they had guys step up rather than just being really really healthy all year now sometimes that happens like sometimes the suns are just more healthy than everybody and they make it to the to the finals as a result but you're, you're right it's it's it gives you pause about almost every outcome at this point and it might just be something that we end up having to live with
1: because the other side of it is you right at least i like to look at these results in the context of what does this mean for their NCA tournament hopes or NCA tournament potential right so in theory if you're a hundred percent healthy for the NCA tournament. I'm going to view these games differently, but unfortunately, particularly this year, we just can't, that can't be guaranteed. Of course, it's never a guarantee as you pointed out, but usually you can be fairly confident. You're going to see something close to a full strength team or, it's, or, you know, maybe you lose one key player and that is the difference between you making a final four or a sweet 16 or something. See, Villanova last year, but This is just, it's just weird because I still want to have that thought process in case a team is fully healthy and the world looks a little bit different come March. But also continuing to just say that over and over is going to get exhausting because, I mean, we can mention it three times in the four games we're going to talk about today.
0: (laughs) So as, you know, it's just going to be... It might as well not even be something you mentioned, at least right. not in any real analytical way. Um, we got some games to talk about. A good old fashioned, just let's talk about the basketball games that happened. It was last
1: a good, night. N- good night of basketball. It was. Good
0: it was a good, it was a good night of basketball. The SEC took center stage last night. You had two. You had a top. You had two top twenty matchups. You had number sixteen LSU. At number 11, Auburn. You had number 19, Alabama, hosting number 14, Tennessee. We got some biggie stuff we want to get to, including our beloved Bulldogs. But we'll start in the SEC. And I, I apologize, but in my head, there's nowhere else to start than perhaps the most ridiculous stat line of the year so far. Are you ready for this? Sure. Walker Kessler. 16 points, 10 rebounds, and apparently he, got, he only had nine rebounds, and then there was like an adjustment to the stack book, like an hour after the game, that gave him the 10th rebound.
1: <laughs> I did not know It that.
0: says, hold on. Kessler got the second triple-double in Auburn's program history, but it didn't become official until well after the game ended. Auburn's official score changed Auburn's official score, by the way.
1: Uh, naturally.
0: Just changed the stats to Credit Kessler with a rebound that had initially gone down as a team rebound with 9.55 left in the first half. So 90 minutes after the game. And then this recap forgot to edit out the like he was one rebound shy of a Because I'm sure they wrote this and then they were like, wait, it got adjusted. We have to add this. But we forgot to take out the he was just shy. Anyways,
1: so so he simultaneously got the triple double. And fell and
0: fell rewrote one. Well, but, but that's not the preposterous part of the stat line 16 points, 10 rebounds. And I'm going to use this slightly more baritone voice to my advantage right here, right now. 11 blocks. 11 blocks. I bet there are teams in the country that don't have 11 blocks this season. <laughs> Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'll have to look here in a second, but like that is ridiculous he had more rebounds than one more blocks than one two three four five six everybody on lsu's team had either 11 points or fewer except one guy and walker Ketzler was just like okay i'll have 11 blocks that's absolutely ridiculous we can get to the other parts of this game such as you know auburn not giving up a field goal for the first 10 minutes of these games these other important things but That is a absolutely wild and preposterous. And it's not like we're playing nickel state with all due respect to nickel state who put up 90 on Purdue last night, Mm -hmm. by the way, Um, you shouldn't be only beating nickel state by 14 when you score 104. I'm sorry.
1: First thing that came to my mind, I was even telling my coworker who's a Purdue grad Mm -hmm. on our podcast. My co-host did the deep dive on Purdue's defense.
0: It's, it's be not better. good enough. Um, <laughs> See, my mind. Um, but so there are plenty of things to talk about here, but Auburn 70 to 55, ultimately the winners. It was really quite an even game after the first 10 minutes, but um, LSU being struck off the unbeatens list after last night, what would you like to uh, touch on Mr. Doring? I, I had to go wall with Walker Kessler though, because when you have 11 blocks, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, Maybe right. annoyingly. That's
2: more or less, to me, what I took away from this game.
1: And part of this was, as you've harped on before, okay, LSU's been very consistent and beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat, have a couple decent wins, but nothing that really catches your attention. So what does it look like when you go play on the road in the SEC against another top 25 team? The result was shooting 28% from the field and 20% from three. Not great. So this was, of course, it's just one game, but this was validation for the concerns that I shared with you about. I'm not convinced. I wasn't convinced heading in, and certainly not now, that LSU is a, in the top tier of teams that are actually going to contend for the SEC title. They're a tier two team for me, not a tier one team when we're talking about the SEC. Maybe they figured this out and are great the rest of the conference. I just... they're going to lose games like this. And again, you lost on the road to a top 25 team, not a huge deal. They're very good. I'm just, to me, there are three or four teams better in the SEC than LSU. But on the Auburn side
2: of this, and I went and looked this up because I was curious, because I mentioned after Thanksgiving that the guards,
1: and particularly the mid-major transfers, to a certain extent remind me of the final 14 in the way that they are just energizer bunny, small explosive dudes who just shoot the ball. And sometimes they get incredibly hot and there's nothing you can do. They're not on the same level skill wise as the guards, you know, your Jared Harper's who carried that Auburn team, but they had sort of the same feel for me. The difference is though. Well, two things one that Auburn team was 36th defensively according to Ken pop. This team is sixth, to your point about Walker Kessler blocking everything that came his way. And, yes, so the guards are not on the same level. But also, that team didn't have Jabari Smith or Walker Kessler. Right. Now, all for two very different things, but that was not a team with any kind of interior presence, really. And not a team with a guy as talented as Jabari – sorry, not Jabari Parker, Jabari Smith. And Smith.
0: that was a team that if they shot 7 of 23 from the three-point line, they were not winning that basketball right. game.
1: Right. So you have a, a true difference maker in Jabari Smith, an interior presence. You can also stretch the floor a little bit in Walker Kessler. You still have some of that just random boost you can get from the guard position, and they're a top 10 defensive. Right now they're sixth defensive. That is a formula to take you a very long way in an SEC that is up for grabs and come March. That was, that was really what stuck out to me about last night is, yes, these guys are, are good offensively. They're not as good as that 2019 team. But, boy, they have some things that I really value when it comes to projecting teams and believing
2: they can make a deep run in March that that team didn't.
0: Does Auburn have the second-best front court in the country? in terms of guys that play on the floor together, because I'm not, if you're, if you're, it's weird because what I'm getting at is Chet Holmgren and Drew Temme are probably the best front court in the country.
1: In terms of right. One, two
0: that, because you're right. That's a but what I'm, what I, and what I'm right. about to tell you, yes, is yeah. Travion Williams. And like, they have, they have two of the top, you know, eight front courts, depending on who's in the game. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm but they're kind of on that list twice as far as I'm concerned, because the two of them, I mean, every once in a while they find themselves on the floor together, but really it's a, it's either Zach Eadie's or, or Travion Williams is, but from a one, two on the floor at the same time perspective, two guys that do different things. I mean, it's probably drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. And then it's, it's this duo at Auburn next, right? I mean, who else could come next?
1: I mean, if you wanted- Sorry to
0: put you on the spot. I mean, I can't really think of, at least from a talent perspective. I yeah. mean, because you have a – I mean, you, it takes – I mean, we a guy had 11 blocks and you can spend three minutes on YouTube seeing what Jabari Smith Jr. can do, right? right.
1: I mean, maybe if you wanted to throw another player from Illinois in there.
0: Just because I – just because Kofi's that good?
1: Right. But also, sure. it's, it's not – that's not really in the spirit of your question. Of two, right. two, they don't play with two things. That's kind of right. the point.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, and this... I've always held that this roster is really interesting to me. It's a strange combination of things that you didn't... Right, you've got some some guards that are transferring up. You don't really know what to expect. Some role players from last year who I really liked, but you don't know what they're going to do with a little bit more responsibility and not having... Sharif Cooper running the show all the time, making every decision. You have Jabari Smith, who who knew what to expect there. Obviously, he had potential, and he's delivered. Walker Kessler comes in, and it's just clicking. The more I see of this team, the more I think they are absolutely – I know you also pointed out there they haven't exactly racked up a bunch of quality wins either. But the more I see them, the question is going to be, can they get enough from the guards, and can – can Jabari Smith be the guy in a close game against Kentucky or in the SEC tournament or in the NCAA tournament because they don't have that go-to guard who is going to have the ball in their hands, right? If you're looking for a flaw that's or a question mark, that's it. But the more I see this team, the more they're elite defensively, they've got different things they can can throw at you offensively, and they've got an awful lot of talent. I, I'm really starting to buy Auburn and I'm starting to feel they're the best team in this conference, question mark?
0: Well, that's what I was about to ask you. I mean, you know, the, the last thing I'm looking for from Auburn is them playing a true road game. Yeah. Or you know, a road game against, I mean, technically USF was on the road, but like, and they, okay. Let me make sure before I say this. They did go and play Slough on the road in a game they won 74 70, which is probably the closest they've come to, unless I'm forgetting something. Apart from the the UConn loss, they usually could have won. Right. That's the closest they've come to losing. That's the second closest time they've come to losing this season. So I think that might be the, the next, the last thing on my list, but what I was about to ask you, and maybe we can touch on it after we touch on Alabama and Tennessee is I was going to ask you to rank these four teams in, in the sec.
1: Oh, I could do that. That,
0: that played last night. Okay. Then give it to me.
1: Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU. Okay. I, my, my debate that I'm not willing to jump to yet, I want to see a little bit more from Auburn and want to see Kentucky in some of these games before I officially say Auburn is my favorite to win the SEC.
0: Okay. I think that's fair. Um, trivia time. LSU, there were five undefeated teams heading into last night. LSU was one of them. They lost Who are the other four.
2: Baylor. Yep. Come on, don't disrespect
0: your team like this.
2: Oh, right. Iowa State.
0: <laughs> okay, that's two. Uh, you got a Pac 12 team and then a mid-major. Oh, right. USC. USC. And then you've got a mid-major. Perhaps the best mid-major not named Gonzaga
2: in the country. John real blank and I'm embarrassed about it.
0: Colorado State.
2: I was going to be, oh, yeah, okay. Couldn't remember if
0: they were, yeah. 10-0. Wins over Creighton, St. Mary's, and Mississippi State at this point. Just be. I believe they've been on a COVID pause. They haven't played since December 11th.
1: That would also explain why they weren't top of mind. Yeah. I can, um, couldn't remember if they had one loss, but yes, they've been very good.
0: They're first in the country in effective field goal percentage they can really they, they
1: can really shoot the ball
0: yeah yes they can and and first in the country in three-point field goal percentage yeah. which That's usually a, a lines up with their they shoot effective field goal percentage is 60.9 percent. how preposterous is that it's That's ridiculous incredible. um anyways but those are your four um i like kim pom you know every time somebody loses he tweets how many how many uh teams are still undefeated and then in parentheses put sorry and whoever whichever team just lost so last night it was remaining undefeated teams for sorry lsu anyways like i mentioned earlier go ahead
1: oh i was gonna say how would you rank these four teams or do you want to say that after our tennessee alabama discussion
0: <sighs> i still think i'm putting tennessee first because like I said, I mean probably I, th- I think Tennessee is first. If I'm if I'm sticking to my sort of where I'm hanging my hat on things, I think I have to put Alabama second because they're the team that still has a win over Gonzaga and a win over Houston at this point. Not to mention a win over Tennessee. I think that. I think that Tennessee is the better basketball team, but if I'm going to complain about LSU not beating anybody and Auburn's best win is that LSU team, can, am I allowed to say the jury's still out or is that a, is that a yeah. cop-out? No, I think, because from, from what I've harped on the past two podcasts, I'm not sure I'm allowed to put Auburn first yet.
1: Yeah, no. And I think that's, I think that's fair. And also, I mean.
0: But I also don't love Alabama because Alabama is very, is perhaps even more bipolar this year than they were last year. Yeah. and I mean, they've, because at the same time, they've also got losses to Iona, Memphis, and Davidson.
1: Yeah. And in defensive LSU, I mean, they had one game where they couldn't shoot the ball. On the road against a top 25 team. It's not like the world is
2: falling
1: apart, you know it was a confirmation of what I think you and I both believed going in, is that they've done a great job being consistent. Let's see them play the elite teams in this conference, and we don't think they're going to fare so well, and that's
2: what happened.
0: Also, Auburn has three of the top six Kempom defenses right now. LSU and Tennessee are one and two, and Auburn is sixth. Kentucky's 20th. And then it's a drop. Then you have a bit of a drop. Anyways, double header when it comes to SEC basketball last night. The other one was in Tuscaloosa. Shouts to to Alabama and Tennessee basketball for keeping this rivalry alive because it's kind of sad watching Alabama and Tennessee play football <laughs> at this point. Because I mean, that when was the last time that was a competitive football game? Right. Um, and it's not like that's a you know there are some. Rivalries that it doesn't really matter how good the other one team is or the other is that it's going to be a close game and that's just not the case with right. this rivalry in football at this point. And also, help—they're
1: um, not in the same same division. Sure. Right. So you have Auburn, Alabama is that way. No matter, and Auburn's usually good if not great. But and you know, Michigan, Ohio State, right? You get it every single year. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. Tennessee, Alabama just doesn't have the same feel when Tennessee is a below-average SEC team.
0: And last night we got a very, we got a good, close basketball game between these two teams in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 73, Tennessee, 68. Um, I guess I'll start simply with Alabama gets this win, but you just ranked your teams and I just ranked these teams and we both had Tennessee ahead of Alabama on that list. Um, Why for you? And uh, what did you see last night? That and you said it. You you were pretty quick on the draw uh, yeah. about that too. So why for you? Um, and what do you see last night that makes you makes you so sure? Makes you so sure? Jeez. This
1: is this is the game more than any other that I was alluding to when we were talking at the beginning. Alabama very nearly lost a home game in which they dominated the paint and the glass shot 9% better from the field and weren't facing Kennedy Chandler, or John Fulkerson.
0: Mm. This is the correct answer, by the way, I was just teeing it up for you.
1: Right. Ten- and Tennessee was leading most of this game. Now credit to Alabama mm. for finding a way to get back in it and then making a couple key plays in the last two minutes or so that really decided this game. Noah Gurley was fantastic. He was the reason they won this game. He had he was, you know, 20 points, 10 rebounds, and also made a key block at the end to, that really sort of turned it from Tennessee was still in control to Alabama was in control and were able to, to make the plays to win the game. And it was a good defensive performance by an Alabama team that has not been great on that end of the floor, which is another positive if you're Nate But there's still this combination of bad turnovers – what happens when you don't shoot the ball well? Now, to their credit, they found a way to beat a still good Tennessee team without shooting the ball well. But if Kennedy Chandler and John Fulkerson are there, they're not winning this game. To me, it's that simple. But also, they weren't there. I You can still make the argument that Tennessee des- sort of deserved to win this game and were the better team for 38 minutes, but they didn't finish down the stretch. and. Alabama did so they deserve credit for that but
2: yeah and
0: they didn't finish down the stretch largely in part because the guys that would have had the ball in their hands to help finish down the stretch weren't in the game right you were you had guys in
1: positions that they weren't now I mean Santiago Vescovi has handled the ball plenty in his Tennessee right Right. but right it is built around Kennedy Chandler and Kennedy Chandler having the ball and he wasn't there right and You know, Tennessee still played well. I'm a huge fan of this Tennessee team. But it's, again, that question of, okay, so what does that mean? At full strength, I firmly believe they're a better team than Alabama. Alabama's had some really good games, but to me this was another disappointing performance that sometimes I get frustrated when people simply look at who ended up with the win because, Mm -hmm. to me, there's a bigger story here.
0: Jimmy Dykes was – you know, towards the end, and Alabama played better defense than they had. Yes. For most of, if not all of the season. But Jimmy Dykes was like, if you like, there was never a mention of Kennedy Chandler not being there. There was never a mention of John Fulkerson not being there in the context of, you know, this, this Alabama defense has been locked down. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, they're playing an offense that has not that doesn't have two of their most important pieces. It's not nearly as difficult to play good defense. With that being said, that this was kind of the issue with Tennessee last year. And if Tennessee runs into a, a loss earlier in the tournament, then you might expect them to. This is still a team that's only just inside the top 50 when it comes to offensive efficiency. Now, I'm not going to use a December 29th Game on the road when they were shorthanded against Alabama to make that point, but it's, as we talked about at the top of the pod, you almost have to look at teams and have in this you know, in the corner pocket, what do they look like if they're you know third best player isn't there? What do they look like if their second best player isn't there? And Tennessee is a team that already doesn't have a ton of margin of error against good teams when it comes to offense, and that that would be the quote unquote Achilles heel of Tennessee not being because they can play good defense, right? I mean, they—that's that's not an issue. But yeah,
1: they're yeah they're a great defensive team,
0: and that, and that to me is why I went with Auburn over them. Not only do you have
1: Jabari sure. Smith, but you also have your Allen Flanagans, your Wardell Greens, just guys who can go give you fifteen points sure. kind of out of nowhere. And Tennessee sure. doesn't really have that now. Sure. Auburn is also heavily reliant on the three and a way Tennessee isn't. But yeah, can, can you get to a point where John Fulkerson and Kennedy Chandler are consistently delivering 30-plus points between them? Because sure. that's for Tennessee to win the SEC and to end up as a top two, maybe even top three seed, that's what's going to have to happen. Because you're mm-hmm. right, that looking in terms of how far can they go they are going to be hampered by their inability to score because when you run into another good defense or a team that even plays good defense on a particular night, like Alabama did, these are the kind of things that can happen.
0: Right. I mean, even with Chandler and Fulkerson, they still have two losses in which they failed to score 54 points. Right.
1: It's not, it's not like they're, right. like they're an uh, offensive juggernaut with those two guys. Yeah.
0: yeah. Agreed. Anything else on this game or the SEC in general?
2: It kind of makes me more, and
1: you know, what Kentucky did last night, it kind of makes me more confident that Kentucky might end up still winning this conference.
0: I mean, Missouri's bad.
1: Yeah, it's not like they got a a real high-quality win there. But just seeing, I mean, Oscar Ciblay is just a monster.
0: He's like second on the Kempom player of the year rankings right now
1: yeah I, I think it's 44 rebounds in his last two games
0: <laughs> he is second behind okay. ej liddell but then that but then like keegan right. murray is third and travion okay. and zach Eady are fourth and fifth and
1: see that you can't that's yeah you can't have you can't have two guys from the same team that seems yeah okay we'll take that with a grain of salt
0: i will but, say though one, two, three, four, five of the top ten are big ten bigs. So that checks out.
1: Yeah, sounds about right.
0: That sounds about right.
1: Yeah. So ultimately, to me, this is still a wait and see.
0: Thirteen and twenty. That's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> this is this is very much a wait and see. How does Kentucky factor into this equation? Can Auburn keep it up?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I to me this is a race between Tennessee Kentucky and Auburn and Alabama's going to have a couple nights where they look great and they're going to have a couple disappointing losses I think some one of those three teams is going to be consistent enough that Alabama is not going to there'll be a game or two back hanging mm-hmm. around but not at the top of the the standings all season I just mm-hmm. have no clue which of those three teams is ultimately going to sort of So what if I – and maybe it ends up being that this is shared between some teams.
0: Right. I was going to say maybe we get to a point where we look up on February 20 – I was going to say 29th, (laughs) not the 29th, sorry. (laughs) February, you know, 22nd, and all three teams are, you know, 13-5 and in conference or whatever.
1: I think – I do think it's going to be hard to determine – it's gonna end at the same point we are now where it's hard to determine who the best team is and there's not a clear cut number one even if a mm-hmm. team wins the conference outright
2: mm-hmm.
1: right if tennessee is a game back it's very easy to look at this this game and say well if they're healthy they win that one you know it's going to be that kind of thing where you can sort of make the you know formulate things however you want in terms of what team you think is the best even if there is an outright winner.
0: Trivia time. Is Oscar Chibwe averaging more points or rebounds per game?
1: Oh, it's got to be rebounds.
0: It's actually – the answer is actually neither. He is averaging 15.8 points and 15.8 rebounds.
1: Really? Mm -hmm.
0: At least according to our beloved ESPN.com. That's a lot of rebounds.
1: I was pretty confident. I mean –
0: Oh, 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 and I have an update. I have an update. Um, Auburn, shockingly, is first in the country in blocks per game. Ah. This, as of, yep. Yeah, so it was updated as of games through last night. They have 104 blocks already. There are two teams that if Walker Kessler just last night was on this list would be ahead of two teams. The first is the University of Northern Iowa. UNI has 11 blocks this season in 11 games and 350th on this list, UC Riverside with 10 total blocks this season. So therefore Walker Kessler had more blocks last night than an entire division one team has this whole season.
1: We really, ESPN really needs to just put Walker Kessler colon December 29th and like 2021.
0: and, And the funny thing is, is like Riverside isn't horrible
1: yeah riverside's and 138th and
0: neither, at kempom and neither is north
1: right it, it, yeah it's not necessarily right. an indication of a bat. it's just they're not built
0: now now you'll be shocked to hear that uc riverside is last in the country in block percentage <laughs> 1.9 so one they get a block one of every 100 possessions
1: you said it was 1.9 though right
0: so okay so really more so like two. so two really more like two for comparison, what's well, Auburn's? Okay, hold on. We'll, we'll, be, we'll get past this here in just a second. Auburn up to eighth at Kempom. Um, Auburn, shockingly, is first in the country in block percentage, blocking a shot over once every five possessions. Yeah. They have a 22% block percentage.
1: Some of those, and the, the offensive rebounding
2: percentages too, some of them are staggeringly high. Mm-hmm. It just seems unreasonably high to me but yeah it's it's incredible what some of these teams can do blocking or, or getting
1: on the glass and things like that
0: anyways you want to talk about our bulldogs next or you want to talk about the better game last night
1: <laughs> let's talk about the first one first and get that out of the way
0: okay talk to really
1: you. really more i want to talk about depaul
0: wait real quick i got a text from our buddy lucas harkins as right after the game ended saying that was probably the worst officiated game of my that I've ever seen. He he said that they should that Butler should have won by 12 to 15. It Do you agree a- with this sentiment or are we is there a slight over exaggeration?
1: I mean maybe slight it was just bizarre. Okay. And I was I missed the first half. I was trying to pay attention to the second half. I so, I know that there was a lot of frustration with the referees. I didn't think it was horrifyingly egregious, but I also to be fair, Lucas had a much better overall under sort of understanding of the vibe of the game and the entire had the entire picture of what was happening and I didn't. Gotcha. At one point I want to talk about though, that I kind of just can't – well, first of all, let's give Butler credit. They were very good defensively, and lo and behold,
0: Bryce NC reappears, and they look like a different basketball team. No, Well, space. and it's the Big East. Like, you could send our intramural team out there against DePaul in the Big East, and we would have won because that's what DePaul does. They lose in the Big East. That's the, that was the larger point I wanted to get to. I wanted to
1: give Butler props first because they were good. I mean, the amount of things – that just kind of went wrong for DePaul. Now, you don't have David Jones. Okay. That obviously, I mean, he's, I think, the fourth leading scorer in the Big East. Obviously a very important player and helps balance out Javon Freeman-Liberty. Don't have a lot of sympathy for that when the team you're playing has been without arguably their most important player or at least one of their three most important players for a, a large portion of the season who kind of does something... Me and David Jones are not the same kind of players, but they do something sort of similar in terms of their importance to their teams. So you're
2: okay, you're dealing with that situation. And then Nick Ungenda is maybe
1: the best player on the floor for the first 25 minutes, and he gets himself thrown out of the game for running onto the court from the bench during the little altercation. That happened because Bryce Golden, another pet peeve of mine, did a hook and hold just because it appeared he felt like it, and it led to a whole scuffle in front of the Butler bench. But Agenda comes flying off of DePaul's bench and gets himself tossed. So then it's just Javon Freeman-Liberty. The guy who was having a really good game and your second most important player both aren't there, and he starts making some poor decisions. He finishes 4-16 from the field. He made a couple big plays to get him back in to make this a a really close game in the final minute until Butler made some free throws and got some stops, but it was just one of those that was all I could think about after this game is it's not that this DePaul team is bad; they have talent. It could be a different conversation if David Jones is there and if agenda doesn't get himself tossed but You can't do that kind of stuff in the big East and expect to win against a competent basketball team, right? Butler is by no means the best team in this conference, but if you are without a couple key players and they're playing well, they're going to beat you on their home floor and Butler deserved to win this game.
0: And and like, to be honest with you, I mean, we can give Butler a little credit here. Butler turned the ball over 14 times, shot only 45% from the field and seven of 20 from the three point line and only made eight of their 14 free throws. They it scored 63 points in this game. Yeah. Right, it's not like Butler came out and was 60% from the field, and it's kind of like, okay, even if DePaul is completely healthy, they probably don't win this game anyways.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Aaron Thompson hit a three. That was, but it, that, was, that was all I could think about is...
0: He had seven steals in this game, by the way. Seven, yeah, well, he, seven, and seven. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic. He, yeah, He had a really good game. Just,
1: yeah. there's something about it's not a question of talent. There's just this mental block that you've you got to find a way to execute better and to be smarter if you're going to win games, and particularly this year, right? There, last year there were some winnable games, and maybe Georgetown is that way this year. But other than that, right, these teams that were supposed to be bad, your Butlers, your Marquettes, that's not going to cut it. It's just not you got to find a way to take it to another level and to execute better if you're going to try and get somewhere near 500 a conference place so you can be in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. This conference is too deep. It's too difficult every night to, to have these kind of things go wrong. I, and Particularly to Javon Freeman-Liberty, that was the first time I had seen him trying to do everything like that. Mm-hmm. And they just got him in. It was bad shots. It was some turnovers because that was something I was really impressed with earlier this season was, and I think we even mentioned it, right? His fuel goal percentage and he was taking good shots. There was nothing forced about what he was doing. It was coming naturally. He was making good decisions. And the minute it started kind of started to go bad and he didn't have the help that he, to be fair, needed, he shoots 25% from the floor and they, can't really do, you know, they really struggled to guard in the first half and they just never really got it going offensively.
0: It's really easy to play under control and make good decisions when you're playing at home against Coppin State, Central Michigan, Western Illinois, right. Northern Kentucky, and Eastern Michigan. Yep. It's really, really easy. Yep. I can make good decisions against those teams and I am a heat check four feet behind the three point line. Passes that are only half thought through kind of pick up basketball player. And I can, and even I can, I can make that happen.
1: That's one of the points, right. I-
0: when you're inside Hinkle House, or yep. inside the pavilion or inside Pfizer forum, forum or yep. inside um, Karnaseka or inside anywhere, it, it doesn't matter where Butler's not good. Butler's borderline bad, but when you're in on the road in the big East against a high major basketball team it's a lot it's a lot harder to make to make those decisions even if it's a basketball team that is quite frankly not all that good sub 100 kim palm team that's what butler is this year even if they showed up last night um if you fancy you got to find a way to win like you can't only give up sixty three points and lose if you really want to go five hundred Big Ten and biggies play. Yeah, and to be fair to Butler, this might.
1: Let's see what happens moving forward with Bryce Enzi back of the lineup as he continues to get into game shape and get healthy and stuff. But that was that was really all I wanted to talk about in this game. Is just that's all. I, that's all I could think about was just this is DePaul doing DePaul things. Mm-hmm. That was that was the only. That's all,
0: that's all that was coming to my mind as I was watching this. Shall we go to the top 20 matchup? Yes, please. In this conference last night, Providence. Shouts to Providence, man. 70-65 winners over Seton Hall. The Friars are 12-1. They're 2-0 in the conference. Um, they've got that win and a win over UConn. So they've got two top AP top 20 wins to start their season, to start their conference play. Their lone losses to Virginia. They have a win at Wisconsin. The Friars might be for real. They get another good win last night at home. They had five guys in double figures. And. We're able to escape with a with win against a good Seton Hall team that has beaten some good teams this year. Um, what say you about this 70 to 65 win?
2: Yeah. Now,
1: caveat no Ike Obiagu, no Tyree Samuel for Seton Hall. Sure. Again, right there, you can, you can go just say, hey, they hung around on the road against a good team without two key players. So I'm not worried about Seton Hall. Assuming they can stay healthy, and get these guys back, and I know Kevin Willard was upset about the way the schedule is going and how.
0: Kevin Willard is upset about something all the time.
1: That was also part of my thought process when I saw he was saying things after the game. I didn't pay too much attention to it, but they're they're in a tough spot. They're shorthanded. They put in a good performance. Mm-hmm. In a game, right? To me, this is just this is a game regardless of how you feel about seeing hall, absolutely. They might be a top 15 team. They're still supposed to lose this game. Providence is just that good. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the, the other key part of this for me, which is yeah. You know, Nora Herkler has a great game. You've got all of these guys who are contributing in bits and pieces. In addition to Nate Watson. And it's sometimes different guys on different nights But that is the thing moving forward is, can you get,
2: because the Wisconsin game, if I remember correctly, the guards were brutal to the production. And
1: since they've gotten going after that game, and I mean, obviously they were still able to get the win, but in this stretch where they've been playing so well, that has not been the case. Whether it's Jared Bynum or whoever, they are getting enough guys pouring in eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 points that you're balancing that with their defense with Nate Watson. And it is more than enough to get the job done. And they just show up every single night, which is difficult to do, particularly this season. And there have not been many more consistent teams in the country than Providence so far. And that's a testament to Ed Cooley. And I'm I'm all in on this team. I'm not sold on their ceiling as a top 10 top 15 team in the country, but they're absolutely top 25 top 20 and are just going to be difficult to play and are going to win an awful lot of big East games.
0: And they're old. Yes. They're really old. And I mean, Seton hall is playing old too, but I mean, they have one true rotation player. That's not a senior. Them being the Friars. Yes. One.
2: And from a,
0: from a like this is all about this is all about next man up step up you know come to play every night because you just don't know who's going to be there to play every night I'll like having the team that's got like seven seniors that are respectable if not really good college basketball players then I mean I'll take that from a winning from a winning plenty of conference games perspective to showing up every night to taking it. I mean, take advantage of getting to play Seton hall without their, without a couple of their guys and win that basketball game. Like at some point there's, there's some of that mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, of course, Ed Cooley is just cool as a cucumber. See what I did there. That was <laughs> nice. Um But we, when you combine that with a lot of guys that have just, been doing this for a long time at the college level like Nate Watson wasn't great last night Nate Watson should never shoot 33 from the field and it was like 37 he was 5 of 14 but he was 5 of 14 with seven rebounds I mean like that's I mean he still ended up with 14 and seven a productive night but like it should never take Nate Watson 14 shots to get 14 points and last night it did, and they still found a way to win the game. And I'm not sure – I'm not sure that is something I would have predicted coming into the season for Providence is that when Nate Watson isn't, you know, 8 of 11 from the field, that they're able to beat good teams, even if it is at home and even if it is a not all the way available Seton Hall team.
1: And the other thing about the way the roster is constructed is – depth is going to win out this year and yes okay if you lose Nate Watson that's a little bit of a different conversation but right they're not relying on one or two guys two or three guys even so in the almost eventuality you're going to lose some guys to health and safety protocols at some point they're not in a terrible position compared to some of these other teams where and just look at you know, for example, one of the teams they played in Wisconsin if Johnny Davis or Kofi Coburn or Colin Gillespie going to, to Providence's conference, some of these guys, uh Javon Freeman Liberty, where is DePaul without him? Right? Jared Roden may be right now the front runner for Big East player of the year. If Seton Hall would have lost him, you know, he, he was there, which helped them stay in this game. But there isn't that one guy on Providence really and they're able, you know, they showed, like you just said, they can get away with a bad night from Nate Watson and still beat a very good team. That also bodes well to being able to win a lot of games during the regular season. What that means for the NCAA tournament, I'm not sure it bodes all that well in terms of being able to go from, you know, round of 32 sweet 16 team to elite 18. But they are, they're in a very good position to be able to weather this season
2: and just be consistent the way that they have been. Agreed. Anything else in this game? No. It's just, again, one of those trying not to... I
1: certainly don't want to overreact on seeing Hall's side. I guess that's the thing I'll emphasize sure. as we finish it. They're very good. It's... It's going to happen sometimes, especially when you don't have one of you, know, a couple key players. And again, this was a game they should have lost. I don't feel any differently about Seton Hall because they didn't win this game. I still think they're probably the better team, but we need to get farther into conference play to definitively determine that because I'm, I'm not, I'm not counting out the Friars at this point, but it's, it's just hard to put too much stock into any one performance, especially
2: with all of these guys missing. Agreed.
0: Seton Hall gets Villanova on Saturday. Yes. We'll see about that one. Villanova, 8-4. Now, all of their losses are more than respectable. They lost to the number two team in the country twice, not to mention Purdue. Um, but in terms of talking about Seton Hall. It doesn't get a hold. It doesn't get easier. They do get Villanova at home, though. Anything else in the Big East?
2: I do not believe so. Anything else
0: on... You got anything you need to get off your chest? I'm,
1: I'm feeling pretty okay <laughs> at this moment about life. Okay. We'll take it. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything that's really grinding my gears.
0: I'm stir crazy. This apartment is not big enough for five days of quarantine. <laughs> not big enough.
1: Yeah, I feel like you have. You I need have more things to get off your chest. Right I need. I,
0: I need actually. to go on a walk or something. But it's also Indianapolis in the winter, so it's it's been like raining. So it's it's not exactly like a a crisp sunny day that you know. Okay, yeah, throw on a sweatshirt and some sweatpants and go for a walk. It's just kind of like a uh, maybe I'll just drive in circles become one That's with a... nature well in your vehicle <laughs> that might be the most 21st century thing i've ever heard in my life yep. yeah i'm going I'm, I'm getting some fresh air you didn't get out of your car yeah i saw the fresh air I had the windows down yeah. <laughs> in the indianapolis winter um okay i think we've been talking long enough um we'll be back on monday but there's some good games this weekend knock on wood that they actually happen either Baylor or Iowa State's going to lose this weekend because Baylor and Iowa State play this weekend.
1: Unless they don't play.
0: Unless they don't play. This is why we're not... Don't bring that energy in here. Don't bring that energy in here. There's plenty of that energy elsewhere. We don't need that energy in here, too. You're
1: right. Looking forward to it.
0: Yes. See, that's what I like. Yeah, but like I said, Baylor, Iowa State, Villanova, Seton Hall. Of course, there would have been a really awesome game tonight. But that one got canceled. Arizona and UCLA were scheduled yeah, to play very today. Yeah, quietly.
1: I realized that today.
0: Yeah. But that's not going to happen anymore because we can't have nice things around here. Um, and then Arizona and USC has been postponed, and that was supposed to happen on Sunday. I think we just need to get our crap together here. Not that I think that would actually change anything, because I think many most teams have their crap together on that yeah. front. But she we'll find – We'll find something to talk yeah, about. The on here. We'll find something to talk about on Monday. It'll be great. It'll be great. And uh, we'll see you then. Please subscribe to the Jason Jays Podcast, and app podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Excuse my Irish, whatever that was. Um, and we'll be back on Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jason Jays Podcast. I'm Josh. He is Josh. We will see you later.